Welcome to It's Not a Crisis. I am your host, Doran Wallach. I'm an entrepreneur, a mother of two, a wife, and a 40-something trying to figure out what is happening in this decade. Why is no one talking about it? I created this podcast to help women in their late 30s and 40s to figure out what is going on in our mind, body, soul, and life. We may laugh, we may cry, we may get frustrated, but most importantly, my goal is to make this next chapter of life positive. I'm also full of my own questions and I'm here to go on this journey with you. So let's do it together. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. There are a lot of women who have really interesting stories and just want to speak. And I think as listeners, we want to hear from women who have had experiences that we can relate to, possibly not relate to. Maybe it can help us grow as people. So uh, I didn't want every single episode to be a self-help episode. I, I wanted some of these episodes to just be two girlfriends chatting about an experience. So I was contacted by Kat through Instagram. She told me that she's been listening to the podcast for a year, which I so appreciate. I thought her story really, it, it struck me. It's another story on identity, uh, a totally different story. And Kat's story really struck me for a few reasons. Uh, first of all, I don't know if I've mentioned this, which I probably have in one of my episodes, but when I was in college, I had majored in sociology and human services and counseling. And my internship was in adoption. And I was fascinated by adoption, fascinated with nurture versus nature, fascinated with the process, both from the birth parents to the adopted child. And I actually wrote a thesis on it and wanted to go into it at one point and ended up going back to school to get my MSW, but ended up leaving. Oh, if you want to hear about that, I'm on a podcast uh, by my friend, Juliet, who is a new friend. And... Her podcast is called Next Stop. We talk about this. So anyway, if you want to listen to it, it's 26 minutes. Next Stop is her uh, Instagram. It's actually I am Juliet Hahn, H-A-H-N. And you'll find me on there. You had to give a quote. My quote was, too old for Snapchat and too young for life alert. That's how I feel these days. <laughs> so, you know, without further ado, I want to introduce Kat to the show. Kat, uh, I'm, I'm so happy that you're here and I'm so excited for you to share your story. And I think that there'll be somebody out there who will relate to it in one way or another. And welcome to the show. Hi, Dorian. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited. And I love your quote, by the way, yeah. <laughs> I was trying not to laugh. I know. But it's so funny because everybody has these really serious quotes on her podcast and, and she... She's someone I recently met, but we laughed so much. And I said to her, can I not do something serious? Because I think like it doesn't work for our dynamic. <laughs> and this will air later. But today she's posting it and it's been all over her social media. So so let's get into this because your story is amazing. And I can't even imagine. I think this story will be very interesting to anybody who has adopted or has been adopted, but also we're talking about finding your identity. Yeah. So let me just start first and foremost. Uh, where were you born and how old were you when you were adopted? I was born in uh, South Korea, in Seoul, and I was a newborn when I was surrendered. 
and uh, stayed in an orphanage until I was a little over a year. And then my parents adopted me. At the time, they were in Boise, Idaho. But then, you know, we moved to uh, Washington State. And for the majority of my life, my young life, I, I lived there. So they adopted you through this orphanage or through a service or? Yeah, it was it was an old, it's a service. It was an adoption agency called David Livingstone. Mm-hmm. And that has since been, that went out of business, but it was affiliated with an adoption agency called Dillon International. So when everything unraveled, it was Dillon, that adoption agency that found me. Got it. Okay. And being Korean American, your adopted parents, what is their background? They're both European. Well, actually, my dad is German and my mom is is English. So I was raised in a primarily white family. They did adopt an older child from Korea, South Korea, too, as well. Uh, we aren't related by blood, but we're all pretty close. And I do have two older brothers that they did have biologically. Ah, uh, okay. And did you get along? We did. Actually, yeah. we... We did really, in my family, we show affection by joking and Uh, (laughs) and kind of, yeah, (laughs) punking each other, really. (laughs) And was it for you, um, did you ever feel growing up that you were adopted? Did you feel different from your brothers or did you, you, did they make you feel as you are their daughter? Oh, they made me feel like their daughter. You know, I mean, my brothers and I, we would, we would tease each other, but I never, I never felt a need, actually, mm-hmm. to reach out and try and find my biological family or rediscover my roots. I was pretty content in, you know, living with my parents and my brothers and my older sister. And I love that. Wow, that's wonderful. Because, uh, you know, biological siblings joke all the time that one of them was adopted. <laughs> my brother yeah. used to, my brother used to tell me that all the time as a kid, and I'd like say, I'd like think about it for a minute, and then I'd realize like no way, I, like, yeah. like my mom, whatever. But I, I had a, a friend growing up that was adopted and didn't really think anything of it. You knew I knew what adopted was, and I actually just always thought it was so wonderful that a family, you know, was giving a child a life that they might not otherwise have. So. Your story gets a little bit more complicated. You had this beautiful life with your family, and I'm so happy to hear that. Tell the listeners uh, what happened so- somewhat recently, correct? Yeah. Well, it was 10 years ago. Yeah. Well, that's I, recent. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> I was in my 30s, so that felt really young. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I, you know what's funny is I was at work. And I was unpacking a box of makeup. I worked for a company called Benefit. I was unpacking this box of foundations and shadows. And on the outside of the box, it said made in Korea. And I was running around the store holding this box. And my friend took a picture of it. And I came home that night and got an email from the director of adoption searches. And uh, she was looking for me. And she needed to confirm that I was the person they had been searching for. And I actually just reviewed the email exchanges. And it was kind of crazy that the craziness of joking around about being earlier in the day, being in the, you know, made in Korea and then coming home, finding out that there possibly was family in Korea looking for me. And so tell me about that conversation. Well, after she made, you know, after she confirmed she needed to know my parents 
full names and needed to know the city that I, I was adopted into. And then she said, I can't, I can't email you this information. I have to talk to you on the phone. So we made, we set a date. I called in sick from work <laughs> and she called me on the phone and it was a crazy exchange. She, I remember every single word she said. She said, are you sitting down? I said, yes. She said, are you, you're not driving a car? And I said, no. And she said, okay, well, you have birth family in Korea. They've been searching for you for years. Your mom is alive and well. You have two younger brothers. I'm really sorry your your birth father passed away and you're a twin. Wow. And I practically just, I, I remember I was sitting in my art studio and I, I almost dropped the phone. It was this crazy, you know, I was 38 years old. And you, just when you think you have your life where you want it, you know where you're going. And then something like this drops and you just kind of lose your breath. I can't even imagine. Did you ever feel like there was like a part of you missing, like, a, you know, I know twins, I have twins in my family and, and they're so, they have some crazy stories of connection, just, uh, you know, I, I could go on and on. It, did you ever feel that in your soul that there was like a part of you missing or did you maybe relate that to not knowing your birth family? This is the weird thing is like, I didn't feel like there was something missing, but I had so many friends growing up, but I felt lonely. So maybe that was a part of it. I just, I, I just remember being a kid and laying on my bed and I had all these friends that wanted to hang out, but I, I just remember having this overwhelming feeling of loneliness. Right. That's interesting. I mean, that certainly yeah. could be related to that. Wow. So that, that must, I can't even imagine what that must have felt like. <laughs> so, okay. So you had that conversation and then, then what happened? Um, I called my parents. Mm -hmm. And I was crying and, and I said, I have family. I have a birth mother in Korea. I, I have two younger brothers I, I and I'm a twin. And they were in more shock than I was. So they didn't know anything about your birth family because you were in an orphanage. Yeah, they had no idea. Like it, the, the records from the orphanage state that I was abandoned and I had no living relatives that they knew of and but the funny thing is, is that my name on my, my Korean name for my adoption papers has my surname, my Korean surname. Hmm. And the first name that the adoption agency gave me was um, my biological aunt's name reversed. It's, a, it's insane. <laughs> and then so the adoption agency said that they made up my birth date, they made up my name, but my birth date is still correct. And my name, my surname is from my birth father's last name and, and my aunt's name reversed for my first name. It boggles my mind. <laughs> so tell me, tell me what happened. Why, why were you in the orphanage and your other siblings weren't? What happened? Well, what I was told in the beginning was that there was just not enough money to feed two babies. And so they, they were forced. They lived with my birth father's older sister who was my, our aunt. And she, she said, you need to choose one child. So they chose the firstborn twin, which is her name is Jin Hee. And then, you know, my aunt took me to the orphanage. I later learned that it was actually considered back then bad luck to have twins. What's really shocking to me is that they didn't tell my twin either until my birth father passed away. 
Wow. And I know there are certain Asian cultures where, excuse me for being naive, I just remember reading this a long time ago in college. No, but give, if they if they were to give up a child, they tend to give up the girl, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and, and I did think that was odd. You know, a year later, they had a boy. And then another year later, they had another boy. And so I wondered if it had to do with like the firstborn being girls. Right. And then, you know, when my father, like my, my twin and I were 21 when uh, he passed away. But this is like a K-drama right here is, so my birth parents kept this secret, kept me a secret. And then my father was dying of lung cancer. And on his deathbed in the hospital, he told my twin, you have a twin sister and I've missed her all these years and you, you need to go find her. And then he passed away. Wow. <laughs> oh my God. Your poor sister. <laughs> I know. I, <laughs> that, so might she, be, that might be a little harder than the way you found out, I think. <laughs> yeah, I know. She'd known about this other twin sister that she was in the womb with and, you know, didn't get to grow up with and, you know, and then finds out as our father is pa- is dying and then, you know, she's 21 years old and I, uh, you know, on the other side of the world have no idea any of this is happening. <laughs> right. So, you know what, I want to go back to, so you got, after you got the phone call, you told your parents what happened. They were in shock. What happened next? After I got off the phone with the director of Adoptee Searches, she had to get permission that I wanted to be contacted. I said yes. And she forwarded two emails from my birth mother and my twin. And uh, my birth mother, it was, it was really heartfelt. It was, she, she kept apologizing in her letter. It was short. It was maybe a few sentences. And then my twin, when I opened up her letter, it made me cry. It was, um, she was talking about how they'd been searching for us forever, uh, for years and years and years. They even went on a national television program in Seoul, South Korea, asking the community to if they had any leads for this missing twin sister. So they thought you were possibly uh, adopted locally. Oh, yeah. yeah. They had no idea it was in the United States. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, she she said she was an artist just like me. And that just blew my mind. I, I That whole experience, I, I never shed so much tears in my life. <laughs> I am sure. You got the letters. Did you then share them with your family? I believe I did. I just know things rapidly happened. They wanted to see me. They discussed with the adoption agency what was the best course of action. Should I fly to Korea or should they come to the United States? And it was decided that because this was so brand new, this late in my life, maybe it was best for them to come to the United States. So my twin, her husband and her kids and my birth mother and her new husband, her second husband, flew to Tulsa, Oklahoma, which was the corporate headquarters for the adoption agency that my adoption was affiliated with. And I felt so bad for them because they they lost their luggage Oh, no. And I know. So when we had a reunion, they were wearing the same clothes that they had flown in from Seoul. <laughs> oh, they probably wanted to look their best. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, were, you, did, were, your, were your parents there? Or is this just you? It was me and my son. And then my parents couldn't come. So I brought two of my friends with me to take pictures because I knew there was no way I was going to be in a mental state to be able to capture any kind of photographs 
of my family. I mean, my friends were my family too. They flew from Seoul, South Korea. I flew from Portland, Oregon, and we met at the corp, you know, the corporate headquarters of Dylan International. And I remember though, the funny thing is the night before I, my best friend was driving a rental car and I was looking for wine. I was, I was like, I need wine. And we didn't know that wine is sold in a liquor store and they were all closed. <laughs> oh my God. And my best friend was like, I don't care if I have to break into it. <laughs> I'm getting you your wine. <laughs> it <was> necessary. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we ended up with gas station beer, but. <laughs> well, you know, you got to do what you got to yeah. do. Whatever you yeah. get your hands on. <laughs> Paint a picture for us the moment you were in the adoption agency and your biological family walks into the room. What was your first feeling or emotion? When you, especially when you saw your twin sister, are you fraternal or? You know, I believe we're identical, but well, what happened was they were in the, con the, the conference room, this giant conference room with the doors closed and my friends were already in that room. And so they were just waiting for my, my son and I to enter. Oh, that's and so awkward. I know. I was so scared. And I remember having an argument with my son. He was 16 at the time. And I was like, you go in first. He's like, no, you go in. You're the twin. You know? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but uh, we opened the door and there was, I just remember there was this audible gasp. And it just, it, they just, they, I just saw these two women rushing towards me. And I just remember grabbing my heart and, and uh, I'm going to cry again. Cause it's I'm just cry. like, so <laughs> I know, it's so meaningful. But it was so crazy to look at this, my twin, and it was like looking at a stranger's face or a stranger with my face. Mm -hmm. it, it was the craziest thing I've ever experienced was looking at this woman that I didn't know, but looked like me. And then, you know, looking at my birth mother and seeing like some genetic traits that we both shared. It was something I'd never had growing up. So it was a really beautiful, beautiful experience. Overwhelming though. She, throughout our, you know, reunion and throughout the years, she shared information about things like, uh, like my aunt, who was my, my birth father's older, older sister, but was considered the elder because they lived with her. And she made the rules and she's the one that, that said, you have to choose one child. But after she passed away, my birth parents burned every photograph there was of her. Hmm. And my twin was telling me how she, she never understood until now why they were so mean to her aunt, because this aunt was so wonderful to my twin and treated her so nice. And, and she, you know, she, she understood after everything was revealed that there is this twin that was given up for adoption and they missed her. And what gave your aunt the the power to make that decision? Was is it a cultural? Yeah. I, I mean, what, I, I was just I mean, what, what put her in that position to make? I, I just it baffles me. Yeah, it's it's a cultural thing. Yeah. It's a, it's a Seoul, South Korea. It, it, it's about respecting your elders. Mm. Like if you're at a, at a dinner table and there's the eldest Korean gets to eat first, gets to take the first drink. And even walking down the streets, I remember senior citizens that were Korean would bump into me or shove me. And that's acceptable because they're your elder and mm -hmm. you, you respect that. <laughs>
That's interesting. I love learning about other cultures because I, I just it fascinates me. I, everybody should always ask a lot of questions when it comes to other cultures because it helps you to understand people differently yeah. living in other yeah. countries. And so, no, did they speak English when they came? They did it. Oh, wow. So that was another strange experience was being with my birth family and we needed a translator. And do you speak any Korean? Uh, I learned a few words. Right, right, right. Uh-huh. <laughs> and my twin learned that she actually can speak English a little better uh-huh. or speak English a little better than anybody else in the family. But I only know words. But most of my time, whenever I've, I've gone back to visit, we have to use a translation app to talk to each other. And even then, sometimes it gets, you know, it, it's not, it doesn't get the sentiment right. And it's really lost in translation sometimes. I am sure that just adds something to the whole (laughs) shock and uh, mystery of all of it. And I I would think without having that kind of emotional, you have the emotions, but emotions come out through words too. And and definitely. What did your, what did your son think? You know, I think it was just as overwhelming for him as it was for me to see this this other woman that looked like his mom, Uh-oh. but didn't speak the language. He didn't really talk about it that much. And maybe that's a boy thing. He, he kept to himself, but there were times I could tell he was, he was emotional. And, and the crazy thing is, is that uh, he looks like my birth mother. Oh, wow. Yeah. There's a picture of them together and they have the same mouth. And the same facial expressions. And I I hadn't noticed it, you know, with the naked eye. But then in the picture, I, I, was, I was astounded. That must have brought her to tears when she saw him. It, it did. And, you know, it, it, what was really profoundly moving to me was that uh, I had grown up without having anybody to look at and say, oh, I get my talent from this parent and I have my mother's eyes or, you know, my father's mouth. And, and so when actually when my son was born, I I was fiercely protective and it meant so much to me to be able to have a family member that I could look at and go, he looks like me. And, you know, he's got my nose and he's got my voice. And it was always really baffling to me when I would see when my friends and loved ones didn't really notice that. And I, I guess you can kind of take that for granted, your genetics and what traits you've inherited. I value it so much. It's such a gift to me to be able to look at my mother and my twin and my brothers. And, and I've met my grandmother and my aunt and a cousin. And, and I can see family genetics. And it's just so precious to me. Yeah, that's 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 a nice thing to put out to the world because yeah. I think it's something that's underappreciated by others who have had that their whole lives. What is your relationship with them like now? They're, the cultural differences, we still talk, uh, not as much. We used to talk almost every day, but the cultural differences was, it was an obstacle. My birth mother wanted to move here and all of us live in a, in a little house together and Oh God. I said, yeah, I said, (laughs) I'm, I'm way too old for that. And, uh, she and my twin have encouraged me and my son to move to Korea. And I said, I, I would visit as much as I could, but it still takes time for me to adjust and, and, uh, feel comfortable with this new part of my life that was introduced to me. Right. It's not your, it's not your world. Yeah. And so my birth father was a chain smoker. 
And so I was smoking at the time and she did not like that. And there were little things where she would punish me as an adult child that I didn't understand, but now I do. It's it's just this cultural thing where it's, again, it's about your elders and listening to them and obeying. So she went right into like mom role, even though she was not your, you know, she didn't raise you. Yeah. And yeah that, must, I, oh, that, that must have pissed you off a little bit. <laughs> it, it did because I was like, I'm an adult. I was raised in America. I, I can make my own decisions. You can't be the boss of me, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I can't even imagine. Just all yeah. of a sudden walk up in here and try to make rules. <laughs> yeah, and like drinking, she she discouraged drinking. Like there was one time where they were, they were here for the summer and uh, she saw me having a glass of wine. And uh, I always told people, I've earned this, you know? <laughs> but uh, she she refused to see me for a week because I disobeyed her wishes and was having a glass of wine. Oh, wow. But, but we still like, we still keep in touch. It's just not as, as overwhelming and overcoming as it was in the beginning. Yeah. And listen, you have to learn also, I would imagine, you know, um, there are those cultural differences, uh, you know, and you understand where she's coming from, but at the same time, that doesn't mean that you have to live by it. It's not, it wasn't the path that you were put into. And so is there conflict in your mind about respecting her as well as just being who you are? and Oh, definitely. I wanted to respect her and I wanted to, you know, submit to her authority, but it was, I was having a really hard time because she came into my life much later. I wasn't a child and uh, she didn't raise me. So there was that, that little dynamic where I rebelled a little bit because I didn't like, I, I felt I was so grateful that I, I was able to meet her and meet my twin and my re- the rest of my family. But I, there was that part of me that was stubborn and didn't understand why she thought she could still parent me. And what is that major relationship like with your mom? And, and how, did, how did they feel about you meeting them? Do you, do you have a lot of dialogue about this now? Yeah, my, my parents were really happy for me. I remember when my brothers met my twin and they said, this is a trip. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah. She talks like me. Her hand gestures are like me. We're both artists. She illustrated a book in Korea for one of my favorite book series, which was Anna Green Gables. Uh-huh. And she illustrated this book. And there were just coincidences that I just, uh, I, I was just touched by because they were, we were so much alike. And I do believe like with the twin theme, like you can be, you know, miles and miles apart, never know each other, but still have the same actions. And, this, you know, it's great. Like we can understand each other without the language a lot of times, too. That's amazing. So tell me, what, what, what are you hoping by sharing your story, especially with women our age? What are you hoping to spread and to, uh, you know, give to women from all of this, from your experience? Have you found from talking about it, if there's advice to listeners, if there's something um, about it that made you reevaluate yourself or anything you want to share? The thing is, is that when I started sharing the journey of being a twin separated at birth and finding your, your biological family, when I started sharing that with friends and family, it opened up this this insane dialogue where people were being very transparent with me and confiding in me things that I had no idea, including my mother who had a brother 
a secret brother that my grandmother, before she got married, had given birth to and given up for adoption. Wow. Yeah. You just found that out? It was after she found out. It was after I told my parents about having birth family in Korea. She confided in me about having an older brother that she had no idea about. My parents did hire a detective and found him. He had passed away, but found his his offspring. And I guess just like your your past guests, where uh, this person doesn't want to be known, they're very uh, wealthy. She wasn't able to tell me his name out of respect for their their privacy. But I never would have guessed my mother had known about the secret brother. One friend of mine, I'd known her almost all my life, and I had no idea she'd had a child that she'd given up for adoption. And she started sharing that with me. That was an aspect of our friendship I had no idea about. And another friend who, she actually was a customer of mine, and then we became friends over the years, and she confided in me about having a child. It was back in the 60s, I think, and she, it was looked down upon and gave that child up for adoption, but actually found that child again and has reunited and rebonded with this person. And so it just opened up this, this conversation with women about our secrets and, and healing them. And you carry around this pain. I'm sure that my birth parents carried around this massive pain and it was closure for them. And I, and then me telling my story, I feel like helped other women talk more freely about giving children up for adoption or, or, and even with the Korean American community, I've had friends that have reached out and said, is there any way, can you help me find my birth parents or, you know, we're support groups for each other or support network for each other. When someone is, is in the process of searching for their, their birth families. Although that's it's I'm so happy that you're here sharing this. And, you know, I, I, I think that, like you said, having secrets, women having stories, shame, whatever it is, the more we talk, the more that pain, trauma, whatever it is, can be released and and you can move forward in your life in a positive way. And so I think it's I think it's really wonderful that you're here to share this. And uh, it, it's a pretty incredible story. And I, I, I said this to Lindsay <laughs> last time she was on. I'm like, God, I always wanted a sister. I like keep oh. hoping that one's going to pop up on 23andMe. And my dad's like, "Is no, it's not going to yeah. happen. <laughs> Her story was, that was, that was nuts too. Yeah, totally I, I nuts. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I would imagine now with adoption and 23andMe, there's no more hiding birth parents and, and things like that unless I mean I think our parents generation aren't getting on there as much but somehow somewhere adopted kids if it's not an open adoption which I don't know what the laws are now I know that you could choose I don't know if you can choose anymore there will be more adoptions that are going to be figured out and more siblings and um etc cetera, etc cetera, over the years isn't that strange how people it's on their deathbed that they yeah. start revealing these truths to their well, family and you know members. what? So I, I love what you just said. It's on their deathbed that people start revealing these truths. This yeah. is what this is. This needs to change. And, and this is why I have this podcast. This is why we have these conversations, because nobody should live with that. Your dad having to live with that and, and your mom and, and not being able to tell your sister, that must have been a very 
awful burden on them. And your dad lived his whole life with that. And then yeah. you know, your biological dad and, and then he died. And so uh, we, we need we need to talk more. This whole process, not only, you know, how I was really excited about finding out my medical history and seeing genetic traits from my birth family, but also it helped me understand more about international adoption. And uh, Korea is one of the biggest countries that adopt children out to other countries, but they, they, they alter adoption records. And then when you adopt in the USA, in your country, uh, there's general guidelines, there's rules, there's checkups. But when you adopt internationally, there's none of that. The, the child is not being monitored. There's no check-ins to see how the child is doing. It's just when, when it's a done deal, it's a done deal. And that opened my eyes up too, where I wanted to spread more awareness about having more laws. Is that is that like that today? I, I don't, I, I feel like it is still. Um, I think there are people, activists that are trying to to change the laws to where they protect the children, whether they're in the country or outside of the country. But that that really piqued my interest because I had no idea. Oh, I mean, having worked in an adoption agency in the U.S., there is a lot of paperwork. There is a lot of follow up. There's I mean, down to I, I worked with the birth mothers, so I would take them to appointments and, and, and to the day that they gave birth, I would be sitting there with them. It was pretty wild because unfortunately, a few of my birth mothers decided to keep the child and there was a family waiting, which was like oh, awful. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on. I, I really now I, I know you're you're also an extremely talented artist and makeup artist. Yes. And I can give you tips too. I, yeah. I we could have a whole other makeup podcast. Oh my <laughs> goodness. I was sitting there thinking, Doran, I, I should tell you about like little tips and tricks I've learned, like with supplements, how to keep you young and how to keep you moving and then makeup tricks for, for people with, you know, with creepy skin or I, I, I know so much. <laughs> thank you so much for coming on the show and thank you for being a listener. I really appreciate your support. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. Remember to give yourself permission and know that you are not alone. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. Reviews are always appreciated. And you can reach me by email at it's not a crisis at Gmail, Instagram, it's not a crisis podcast. And please join our Facebook group as well. Until next time, just remember, it's not a crisis. <laughs>